G'day Swellians, Deadly here. Welcome to Ain't That Swell, live from the Plantation Hotel in Coffs Harbour on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. Wow, what can I tell you about this night? Well, it was an unusual live event. And uh, let me tell you, straight up, the reason for that is that there is no Smivy in this episode. I know, madness, at first ever, ain't that swell in the history of the potty with no Smivy. Don't worry, I won't blame you for switching off. The punch drunk pikey, the salt and the psilocybin, scum valley's finest. He carries us all through these turbulent fucked up times. And I tell you what, I missed him dearly on this night because I was a little bit fucking stressed out trying to run the show all by me, Pat Malone. But I will say this. Give it a chance, because we have got some pretty epic guests telling some pretty rippy yarns. None better than Robbie Page, the 1988 Pipe Master. Holy shit, what a life that guy has led. Finally, a big shout out to our major support partner, Billabong. Get on their site, check it out, support the crew who support you, the Swelly and Army, Billabong and ATS Live, together at last. Without further ado, let's rip into it. ATS Live from the Plantation Hotel in Coffs Harbour. Hey, uh, well, first of all, i like to say, and I ask people going to find me, that I want to be a part of this fucking dumb wannabe tennis tour. You know, I think they got their, his testicles so far up their mouths that this is bullshit, you know? I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm just thinking about having won the world title and, and hopefully trying to win another one someday. You just drop in and just smack the lip. Pull back. Drop down. Say, bah. Well, I'll tell you, Stu, I did travel some humongous ways. Oh, that's the paper thing? Oh, surf looks good, have it? Not bad. Ain't that swell with Jed and Vaughn. Oh, those guys are back! <laughs> Get a haircut. It's an awesome privilege to be here uh, with all you crew at this beautiful stretch of coastline. I'm absolutely frothing. And, uh, you know, this coastline means a lot to me. I... I Grew up here, I'm a local, I went to Maxville High. Uh, Dad and Missy's farm is out the back of Bowerville, my mum lives at Valor. And this whole area is, uh, you know, I cut my surfing teeth right here on the, on the mid-north coast. Uh, I want to give a shout out as well to the RFS who have just been doing a fucking tireless job trying to protect everyone's zones. It's been a shit summer and uh, it's going to keep being shit until we get rain. So those guys, thanks so much. That's awesome. I also want to do a shout-out to uh, a few of the Spinos, Billabong, who have helped us take Ain't That Swell on the road. They're fucking legends. Custom footwear, uh, child sunnies and road microphones as well. And tonight we have some, uh, some other special sponsors as well. We've got uh, Cooper's Surf Store, 50 years in the game. <laughs> fucking legends. And uh, we've also got... Cream Surf Wax, the finest fucking sticky shit on earth. Yeah, the cream boys, up your pagey. All right, um, I think that's just about everything. I think we're going to uh, rip straight into it, get our first guest up here, who's going to actually help me co-host tonight. A no-bullshit working-class power monger from the Coffs Coast. Our next guest blew the doors off the junior circuit as a redlining full-rail turbo Ewok with one of the best power games in the biz. Quietly spoken, but carrying a big stick, he was a marquee rider in the Billabong stable during a golden era that featured Oki, Margot, Dorian and Mick have a crack. 
and he enjoyed rainforest worth of surf mags coverage as one of Peter Bosco Boscovich's favourite subjects. He scaled the heights of the queue and surfed for four years on the sea team. A second at Sunset Beach to Joel Parkinson, a highlight of a memorable career. Since retiring from his competitive career, he's been introducing the stoke to thousands of surfers on the Coffs Coast with his very own surf school. Please make him welcome your very own favourite son, Lee Winkler. How you going, mate? Good, good. I've actually never been to a podcast. I've never heard one. Never been here, but it's good. Yeah, no, I'm stoked. Let's be part of it. I love my town and love everybody who's, who's been here in this town for ages and made it what it is, so thanks for bringing it here. No worries, mate. Um, what's your history with this area? I know you've uh, born and bred here, but how did the folks come down here and what's your history with the Coffs Coast? Um, my father, uh, he's been here. He was born in Bellingen and he was the, uh, from a fisherman, fisherman like family, all professional fishermen. And if anyone doesn't know, all the commercial fishing in the area used to come out of the Kalang, which is down near Yurunga, and they used to own Nuri Island. So the trawlers used to come through Yurunga River mouth and onto the island. And then uh, when the harbour here, when they blew up the, the quarry, which is a shame, and they created the harbour. So they, they commuted a, all up here with their boats because it was easy to keep them, instead of going across the Yurunga Bar, they, um, yeah, stored all the boats up here and they got a house. And then, um, yeah, Dad moved up here for school and work and I was born and, yeah, went to Coffs Primary up on the hill and in the jetty high and that's it. I started surfing about 13. My, my old man was a, like a surfer and, had, like I said, he had a massive fishing background and he didn't, he made me ride a boogie board, as my, most of you probably know, who know me well. Ride a boogie board till I was about 12 because the dad wouldn't give me a fiberglass. I, I don't know why. And when I got to high school, I um, became... Uh, tuck shop boy because I rode a boogie board so fair so fair enough it was so every recess and lunch at high school uh, Kirk Day, Paulie Dono, um, Marty White I'd be sitting in the line 12 people deep just waiting to get all their tuck, tuck shop lunches and I was like fuck things are going to change <laughs> so I got to uh, yeah I had a guy a Damien Henry he, was, he lived in Anderton Street near Brodie Drive which is not far from Park Beach, and I heard he had a board that was uh, for sale, it was $5. So I walked around to his house and knocked on the door and, yeah, offered him the $5, and that was history. It was Bryn, Good, Bryn, Bryn Goods board. It was a yellow Trinity single fin, um, and I think that went through quite a few hands, and, yeah, it lasted, I think, I think that was in, when I was 13, about a week, well, that tuck shop existence lasted about two weeks. So... And then, yeah, Dad got me a board for Christmas that end of that year, so I rode that shit board for 12 months and then got a good one, a Cooper. And, and what was the deal, mate? Who were the sort of the, the, the big dogs around the area as far as surfing went? And, and what, did you join straight up to the club or did you sort of watch it from a distance for a while? Yeah, watched it from a distance. Like, I could, you know, I could already duck dive and I could read a wave. And then, um, you know, there was, a, there was a massive group of guys in year nine at high school and they were, they were fucking red hot. They were all good. Um, nowadays, you know, they were doing roundhouse cutbacks. Nowadays, the kids at that age are doing other shit. But um, to me, those guys were like, you know, they were lords to me. And, uh, yeah, it took me probably, I don't know, till I was about 14. It took me about two years. And then, yeah, I kept hounding the guys at fucking at Bob Cooper at uh, the jetty store. And he just said, kid, you've got you to win comps if you want a sponsorship. And, 
yeah, he gave me the drive to do it and met Trent, met Trent here and, yeah, that was kind of yeah, enough for me to kind of, you know, there's bright lights up there but there's also for a kid there's bright lights down at, at eye level sort of thing. Yeah, it was really cool. It was inspiring times. And, and just can you drop a few names for us because I know that, like, this coast is, is has so many fucking good surfers, man. There's so many good guys from here but... You know, like, we, we tend to think in more in modern terms. Who were the guys that you were just going, I can't believe how good this guy surfs? Um, well, Andrew Lindsay, he was, a, he was a massive influence on me. And uh, Andrew Ferguson, who's, who's passed now, uh, he was amazing. Uh, Justin Walsh, down at Scott's Head, he, he was incredible. Uh, Marty Brinkmeyer. Like, we had a really strong board riders club back then. Matty Chelman, there was, was, was guys that, you know, yeah, they were... the. You know, the basics, you know, power, rail, you know, hitting the lip and not holding back. And, you know, and then I met Trent and Trent was probably the guy that, you know, yeah, he's probably the guy I still look up to now as a, as a guy that sort of drove me, you know, from start to finish. Unreal, mate. All right. Well, uh, we'll get back to your story in a little bit. But what we're going to do is get our next two guests up. Born and bred on the Coffs Coast, our first guest is a proud First Nation man of the Gumbangi and Bunjalung mobs who first dipped his toes in the brine off Diggers Beach well before a first word had passed his lips. Raised on the punchy beaches and reefs of the area, the kid showed plenty of flair and was quickly earmarked to carry the torch of a long line of indigenous surfing talent from the Coffs Coast, including Eric Mercy, Andrew the Black Off Ferguson, Johnny Craig and plenty more. An adventurous spirit at heart, he soon moved to Sydney to explore opportunity and immerse himself in the urban creative scene where he honed his skills as a free surfer, an artist, all while packing boxes in the Insight Factory. But it was scoring a cover of America's The Surfer's Journal that changed everything. Pretty soon, he was on the Insight team, appearing in magazine spreads all over the world with his trademark loose lofty punts and even making his own signature film. In the past decade, he's gone on to become one of Australia's leading free surfing talents, a marquee rider on the Billabong team, and through his paintings, one of the great contemporary storytellers of modern Australian Aboriginal culture. Please make him welcome, Coff's very own flatty fishing, paint splashing, orbit riding, a madman, Otis Scary Kerry. Born and raised in a house commish on the New South Wales South Coast, our next guest went on to become one of surfing's most enduring characters with a life story that has more ups and downs than a yo-yo competition. Escaping the hardships of a rough childhood by jumping in the ocean, he was a kid soon off travelling the world as a pro surfer in an era of megalithic giants, Curran, Carol, Elko, Oki and Potts. A win in the Pipe Masters in 1988 was followed by a stint in the Hollywood surf film classic North Shore, and then another in a Japanese prison for possession of LSD before he wound up dating the sitting president of France's granddaughter. He became a pioneer of outer reef toe surfing, started his own wax company, and just recently opened his own cream surf shop in South Kempsey. And that's not even scratching the surface of a life that is no less vibrant and inspiring than the man himself. Put your hands together for the one and only Robbie Page. It's unreal. 
How you going? I don't know that uh, you're about to have another baby and uh, the water's broken. So how are you feeling up yep. here? Yeah, I'm good. Um, yeah, the missus has been leaking a bit of amniotic fluid the last few days. So <laughs> I've got my phone here, so pardon me if I keep looking down at my phone. That's all right, mate. I'm glad yep. you got your priorities in order. ATS first. Yep. Nice work. Mate, let's give us a bit of uh, your history with the Coffs Coast because uh, your old man was a spear fisherman and your mum's uh, one of the local mob as well. Um, Tell us about, you know, the land that your people come from and your history with it. Um, yeah, Mum's Gumbanga from this country here that we're on and um, acknowledgements to elders past, present and acknowledgements to uh, everybody here too. Thanks for coming. Um, but, um, yeah, born in Grafton, Dad's from Newcastle, Mum's from up Grafton Way, so spent a lot of time in Grafton, coughs, in, to and from... But, um, man, I'm, I moved for, like, 13 years, but uh, spiritually just being dragged back here, I just, I don't know, I, I just, I am my, the best person I am when I'm, you know, back yeah. here. Like, I just, yeah. yeah. Home, home is, like, home's so important for not just Indigenous people, but for everyone who's spiritually connected to where they're from. Yeah. Uh, your granddad was one of the last initiated crew, right, from the Ocean I, River? I believe so. Yeah. Uh, what, 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 can you just explain to everyone what that, what that is, what that means? Um, I mean, it's pretty... I don't think I'm in a position to explain what that is and what happens, but um, yeah. there's different stages of initiation as well. So I'm not... Because we lost a lot of um, knowledge with initiation from Gumbanga and Bajalung, I'm not totally aware of what that entailed, but I know that um, he was pretty, pretty prominent member of the Bunjalung mob, yeah. Um, tell us about surfing, man. When did it come into your life and who, you know, we, we heard from Wink, some of the crew who uh, formed him as a surfer. What about yourself? Who, who were the big dogs when you were just starting to hit it? I think when I first started, my favourite surfer, even though he was a kneeboarder, was my dad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Rod. <laughs> Cheers, Dad. But um, I, um, man, growing up in Coffs and being a young surfer, the inspiration of looking up to the surfers was just like incredible. You had Wink, you had John Laurie, just even, you know, Linz, Madison Williams' dad, Mark. There were so many surfers to look up to. So I was never short of inspiration and I was always just sitting at the beach watching really good surfers, always inspired. Well, did you feel like you were a part of that, mate? Because like, when you moved to Sydney, uh, you weren't down there to be a pro surfer or chase the dream, really. You were down there just to sort of get a change in your life and, and you were working packing boxes at the Inside Factory. Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to get out of coughs. I was just bored here. I didn't understand who I was as a person spiritually. And so it took me to move for like away for 13 years to figure that out and work in a factory and, you know, f- realise, like, fuck, I want to be a pro surfer. And, um, yeah, here I am. And it went quick, mate, because all of a sudden you had, like, uh, maybe multiple covers in a row. You started getting a bit looked after. You were invited to all these different comps. Next thing you got a Billy's deal and, and things are flying. Like, looking back on it now, did it feel like a bit of a blur or did you sort of know what you were doing? Uh, looking back, I just remember having no money, always ringing mum and dad, hey, uh, 
I can't pay rent this week. <laughs> Can you go down the bank real quick? <laughs> Transfer me some money. But, um, yeah, it's a bit of a blur, but I remember all the hard times that I had to go through to get to where I am. And, I mean, to get to where you are, where you want to be, it's not easy. It's ne- it never is, but it's worth it. And was down in Sydney when you, you sort of hooked up with Ozzy for the first time, who, who was a bit of a childhood mentor, Ozzy Wright, uh, a guy who sort of took a path that you felt made sense to you, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I just saw Ozzy... I saw a lot of myself in Ozzy. He was kind of like the black sheep in surfing. And me being Indigenous in the surfing community, there wasn't really many other Indigenous surfers, you know, for me growing up to look up to. And Ozzy uh, was just, I guess he was just that person for me. And what did he, what did he sort of, because you guys became friends really, really quickly. Yeah. What did he bring to your life other than just, you know, thousands of huge nights that you regretted deeply? <laughs> he, it's funny enough, I never really gave a fuck growing up, but he really made me understand not giving a fuck about other, what other people think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were actually next door neighbours in Byron Bay for a, a year and a half. Weird did, enough. Did you like even, legit my next door neighbour. Did you even see each other though? When we drank alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of the most genuine people you ever meet. He's got time for anyone and everyone. He's probably one of the biggest hearted humans you could ever meet. Like he's that genuine. When you were in Sydney, a lot of your art was, was urban based. You were sort of experimenting with different areas of where you wanted to go with it. And then once you sort of came back up here, you started to really connect with the stories that you wanted to tell within your art. And that's when your art career really took off. So what are you trying to, t- trying to say? What are you trying to communicate when you paint? I mean, yeah, when I first started, I didn't really know who I was spiritually, understand where I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. Even though I had my dream job, you always want to learn more about yourself. And I think for me, it, it's... It became, and I always wanted to share my culture and who I am and all the knowledge that I hold within myself about culture and who, you know, I just, I want people to be more empathetic and understanding. Like these days, people listen to reply instead of listening to understand. And that, I like, I just, I don't know, I just want to break down walls and bring people together. You know, people, there's... there's more positivity. Yeah, man. I mean, if there's one thing I love about you, you've got a huge heart and you're very, very emotionally connected to people, to the environment, to everything. And I think with uh, your art, when I look at it, I, what I love the most, though, is that you're telling modern stories. You've got your take now, your experience of things within your paintings. Is that a fair call? Yeah. I mean, I... Um I couldn't paint a traditional painting to save my life. I wouldn't know, I don't know how to do that, but I can paint a traditional story contemporary in a contemporary form. I don't know why. That's just how I, how I work and express it. I, yeah. Unreal, mate. Love it. Uh, you've done a lot of big shows and you've done a lot of big pieces. Uh, there's pieces around town here and all that sort of thing. But uh, recently, you did paint Hamsey's house. We've got to talk about it. We love Thor, especially on this program. Mate, how was that experience for you? Was that trippy? Did you pick up the hammer is what I really want to know. He, he actually has two hammers at his house. 
but I didn't pick them up. They were like up, up on a shelf higher. Yeah, but like, hey, Hamzy, come, mate. I think, what, if I can recall correctly, I think they're like carbon fibre, so they're really light. Oh, uh, one thing I want to talk to you and Paigey both about is uh, the Indigenous titles. You're both champions. Um, can you tell us a little bit about sort of how that brings the community together and just how special it is? Because uh, I've been lucky enough to be down there. It's fucking incredible. I reckon I'm up. Firstly, I'd like to pay my respects to the traditional owners of the land here, the Gumbangi mob. It's great being on your country. Uh, the Indigenous events are really uplifting. I've done the pro circuit. My mobs, the Tom Carrolls, the Ockies, the Currens, that's my school. So I'm the old boiler up here at the moment. But um, try and act young next to Otis. So the Indigenous events are really uplifting. Indigenous people have got a really warm heart and they want the best, not just for Indigenous people, they want the best for the whole country. And as you see, there's so many more foreign people coming in in the millions. It's just time that we get a little good heart going between the, the Anzacs and the, and the Kuris, the originals, and that's just a really good start. So... Otis and myself put a lot of time into the Indigenous events because we know it's important to the kids to let them know how, 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 how good they're doing and that their lights in the communities. Um, I went there as an older pro surfer wanting to give what I had to give and in the end I realised I was just receiving. And we all gather four times a year when possible for these events and... You know, there's no ego there. I like to be in an event where there's no ego. And there's no one selling their status, how good you are, who you're not. Uh, in Indigenous culture, there's not please and thank you because who are you pleasing and thank you? And just break that damper and, and pass that food around. So um, I'm pissed off with Otis Kerry too because I've had two heats with him and he's comboed me in both of them. <laughs> so he can get stuffed. But I got his brother, I know his mum and dad's here, but I comboed his brother at eight ten-foot Newcastle. <laughs> That's my little punch back to the Kerry family. And, mate, like, Odie, uh, what about you, mate? Like, do, do you feel like, you know, where are we at with Indigenous surfing? I mean, it's, it's not to be separated at all, but, but when you were a young fella, did you feel like there was a pathway for you and do you think that that's been improved upon a lot? Um, when I was a young fella, I felt so out of place at all the... Comps like I was legit the, the only brown skinned kid, um, but it's it's great now. Um, we've got a lot of young kids that just absolutely shred that are coming up. Mostly, I feel like there's a lot more young girls that than boys. The girls there. in Australia. Let's talk about girls. Australian men are full of shit. They're always putting our losing men on telly who aren't coming up trumps. Our women, we got. Two women have won seven world titles, eight world titles. Our soccer girls, our basketball girls, our swimmers, I'm sick and tired of hearing about the men who are full of shit. That's my take on it. Fair call. It's good to hear the swelly heads being represented. It's usually a fucking doodle fest at these shows. Go the ladies. I've had enough of these men. Yeah, Rasta has a, a saying, he says, you know, if there's more girls in the lineup, there's less assholes. Oh, Which is, he's onto it there, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, big time, because it changes the, the mood of the lineup. You it start really, losing it, that. It does. I think, look, we're becoming a very populated island, continent, whatever you want to call it. But we have to spiritually lift the vibe, everybody. If you're the biggest, toughest guy in the water, you've got a responsibility to pull your fucking head in. 
You've got a responsibility to give more love and respect to everyone else because you're the gangster of the water. You've got nothing to prove to hassle everyone and make the vibe in the water shit. That is not what we're up to. We're up to, like, calm the fucking water, share waves, and if I don't care how many contests you won, you need more respect because you're getting the privilege to ride water better than most people on the earth. Pull your fucking head in. I think, Australia, we have to show more respect to each other, more love, and get it back on track. As far... Sorry to take it off the road here. As far as... Uh, the high performance surfing in Queensland. I know you guys are listening to me. You don't want to give me a job. I don't want a fucking job. You're making our, you're making our surfers stale, okay? There's fucking four or six of them in the top 44. In my era, there was 200 of them, okay? Now what are you doing? You're making guys do all this weird shit. There's nobody in, there's nobody in the Hall of Fame of surfing who's a straight, stiff brain, sorry to say. They're all off their fucking head. Now they're taking <laughs> them through here like cows, spitting them out, and they can't even win a fucking heat. Like, I reckon it's time to go back on tour. And Otis Carey got that going. Otis broke the mould. I'm following it, and that's about it. <laughs> Tell them oh, what there's going to be plenty more of that coming. <laughs> Robbie, uh, before we get into your life, and Odie will we'll, we'll bounce back and forth with, with everyone, but uh, I've got two quick things I just want to clear up. You're allowed to ask what you want tonight. Thank so you. you. Do it. Thank you. you. Uh, when I first started work at Tracks magazine, there was a famous story, famous, the editor of Tracks, Reggae Ellis, and you, uh, you and he were driving home. This is the he allegedly. Was drunk, yeah. He was wasted. You got pulled over. Yeah. And Reggae looked at you and went, if you swap seats with me, I'll give you the cover of the next well, track. Really... True, or, true or false? Well, half true, mostly true, but he was too slow. He went red and went, ah, 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 and I've been a little bit of a gangster of naughtiness through time. I said, fucking jump over, bro, now, or you're going to the can. <laughs> so he just jumped straight over, and I looked at him and I said, is that the front cover? I can change seats, and he said, that's the front cover. <laughs> <laughs> Yes! Oh, I've been dying to ask you, you that. You want to know a better one than that? Jimmy... Well, Jim hang on, hang on. All right. the, the cover shot itself is, like, reggae must have been struggling for a shot because it's like a frontside Rio and a one-foot Shuri or something like It was a shit-out shot. Fuck, he stitched you up, mate. It's just, listen... You I would have been filling in that form that the cops said, you go, nah, it wasn't me driving, it was reggae Ellis. Look, no promotion's bad for you, right? I'll take any of it. In fact, the worst shit they ever wrote about me gave me more hits than actually my greatest achievement. So, you know, take it when it comes. All right. The second... This is a heavy one. The other night we had, uh, we had Gary Elkerton on the program and um, he, was, he was in a bit of... He was in a bit of hot form. Yeah. He, he walked on stage with a gaff helmet on, Oakley uh, snakeskin blades, both prototypes that were made sp specifically for him in his glory days. And he's, uh, yeah, his jaw was just swinging like church bells. So I was just going, this is crazy. But um, he told this story uh, and he said, ask Pagey about it. Ask Pagey. Because I, I couldn't believe it was true. He said that he came in from a heat on Reunion Island against Kelly Slater and Kelly Slater spat in his face. Well, it started before that. Elko had never beaten, Elko had never beaten Slater in a heat ever. And right before this heat, because I'd come from a holiday from Japan, right? So I'd been a naughty boy, but they'd let me... We can have a word of that. No one's talked about that, right? We'll get there. So um, I'm in Reunion Island, and 
ASP doesn't want me there, but Ogsbo, my sponsor, sponsored the event, so they gave me a wild card into the event. I had Rob Machado, so that was the end of that. But um, I started caddying for Elko, and he came up against Slater, and it, it worked out. Elko and I were in this tent, and uh, he's sort of trying to prep for this heat against Slater, and Slater walks up to me with a hamburger. And I'm thinking, what the fuck's he doing with a hamburger? And he's come at me. I'm not in the heat, I'm just a caddy. He walks up and he goes, hey, sweaty, can you caddy for me? And I'm like, I'm like, shit, this is a heavy deal. He's come straight at me. I said, yeah, I can, I can caddy for you, but I'm also caddying for Elko, so why don't you go and ask him? And that's the first time I've seen Slater's jaw drop, like someone gave him the pie back. So then I go in and tell Elko what's going on. He's like, what would you say to him? And I said, I asked him to ask you. Anyway, so Gary's about to go out for a heat. He's walking out with his head down defeated and he says, fuck, sweetie, I've got to beat him sooner or later. And I just grabbed him and I said, bro, wake the fuck up. Are you going to win this heat with this guy now or is later coming down, you know? So we got in the heat and he was catching waves and I was actually pushing him back out on the paddles to keep him psyched and he, he beat Slater in that heat. So if Slater spat on him, I'm glad he didn't spit on me. <laughs> So no confirming? You didn't see it? I didn't see the spit. Yeah, we can't throw that That's on... heavy. We can't throw that on Uncle Kelly. Oh, brutal. Glad we cleared that up. Thanks very much. Uh, one, one other last question before we start getting into your life a bit. Why did you stitch up Rick Kane at sunset, mate? Why did you steer him to the inside when the big waves were coming? Well, we should talk about why Oki stitched me up. Oki was playing pool. Oki was playing pool on this table three foot long, one foot wide at Microtronics. Tim Benithan, who makes all the surf films, said to me, hey, they're doing screen tests down at Pipe. Why don't you go there for the North Shore movie? So I rode up and got Oki on my little bike and got him to sit on the handlebars and we rode down the pipe. So we got into conversation, then we got in an argument. I said, oh, shut the fuck up, you wog. And those two guys who were doing the screen test, the guys that made Blue Lagoon and Grease and all those movies, they're like, what's a wog? And Oki goes, a Western Oriental gentleman. So they said, you guys are in the film. And I bought me house off the film. That's unbelievable. You guys have seen North Shore, right? Probably not. They probably weren't born. Fuck, it's a good movie. It's so damn good, man. Uh, Oki said it when we spoke to him that he dead set thought his surf career was done. He was going to move to Hollywood. He fair him thought he was going to be a big star. Did mate, you feel the same? Mate... The, the producers had to let Oki run outside and have a joint every half an hour or he wouldn't comply to the rules, right? We're sitting in this back room. Laird and all these guys have done all their contracts and uh, they've offered Oki and I about 7000 bucks each and I've worked out it's like 20 grand an hour just to keep all this shit on site. There's so much more money, mate. Anyway, the, the bottom jaw came out. Robbie's not happy with the money. So the seven grand went to 35,000 US in about two seconds and I'm going, can you pull the fucking chain up? Oki's going, well, you're only number 30 and I'm number three, I'm signing. So we signed up for 35 grand or something. Fucking well done, mate. An iconic movie, epic roles. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember your lines from the film? Oh, I do remember some, but I remember Oxmore. You know, this would take sometimes, it takes 60 tries to get on the mark. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed it that time. I'll get it next time. And, and this was 60 times. Like, fucking, Ock, you might need another joint, bro. You've got to 
Just pretend you're walking five up to the nose. Oh, that might work. It is a pretty funny chapter in, in surf history. You two, like, you know, two surfers, pro surfers thrown into this Hollywood production, right? What, were the, what was the, the set like? What was, the, was it all foreign to you or were you... I was still living in the housing commission with my mum down in Wollongong, you know. I grew up with my mum. My mum's got the Aboriginal side and my dad's so Irish, he's pink. So I'd probably be pink if I didn't have a little touch of this fella's mob in me, right? But uh, it, was a, it was sort of surreal for us. We would go every day and get makeup. Being a young kid, me and Ock would be more like, hey, makeup, what time do we got to come over? You just sit back, young fellas, or, you know, hey, kitchen hand, when's the food coming? So it was surreal to us, and we were just feeling like probably the wonder kids to the guys that made a lot of great films, you know? I, the first lobster I ever had in a restaurant came from those guys. They did this contract with me in, in Waikiki, and they go, what do you want to eat? And I'm thinking, shit, I'm in the housing commission with my mum. Half the time we're on fish and chips. Can I have a lobster? And they said, yeah, so I got a lobster. Oh, that's all time. There's a great line. I don't know where, where Smithy got it. This is in his notes. But he says that as a kid you saw surfing as a martial art. Is that true? And yeah, where I did. did that come from? I see surfing as the greatest of all the martial arts. I see there's, you know, you can't, you're not just... The land's stable. Obviously, in martial arts, the opposition ain't stable, so it's just like a wave as well. But there's something about... I like big wave surfing. I ride big waves and uh, I've done a lot of big wave surfing. So I find the martial art of the heart and the mind is very important in big waves. And in small waves, it's the martial art of the cardiovascular and the gymnastics. So I think it creates full people. This is what I was saying. We go out in the water and we surf well. Who gives a shit? You're already lucky to be doing that and you usually got the brothers seem to like you and the ladies are pretty much close, so you're already you're quite lucky. So I think you have a responsibility if you're a great athlete in anything or you've got the edge over the normal to even give a lot more back when you're on land. Be humble. Give some joy out there. Walking around with your face up your ass all day acting the tough guy, that's fucking way gone. I'm over that bullshit. It's about time we start giving some love and compassion. I think that's what I'm sort of focusing on in the surfing. No more of this hard-ass bullshit where everyone's unhappy in the water. It's not working. Respect's going to work. But, I mean, when you first went on tour, you, you were there <laughs> at, the, at the most cutthroat time with the, the biggest egos... The, the craziest alpha males around, uh, especially around Hawaii and especially Sorry. competitively. Yeah, what, it, what was it like for you as a young fella was, getting on tour, dealing with... Who was the, who was the gnarliest? Who were you just well, going... Well, firstly, you've got to remember there's no internet. There might be two surfing events televised worldwide. And in my, when I first started as a kid, Ock and I and Damien Hardman and so forth, there wasn't 44 or 32 gods. There were 16 gods and if you had a chance to see one of these older legends, you were super, super lucky. Um, when you take 16 of them and there's a couple of Californians and four Hawaiians, it really left 10 Australians. So people would drive from far and abroad, go to the Aussies when they owned the whole surfing world. These guys have let us down, haven't they? So... Those guys, those guys were all individuals. Remember, there's no internet. So when you got a chance to see somebody, I landed on the beach in 84 as a kid 
and I'm watching Joey Brand break dancing on the beach before a heat, and I'm like, there's Joey Brand. <laughs> Here comes Dane Kealoha. I left Sydney Airport with Simon Anderson, the man that invented the three-fin board, and he, I rocked up with a nine-foot box with three surfboards in, and he goes, Rob Page from Wollongong, is it? There's only one guy from Wollongong, and he starts talking about Richard. He made me open my nine-foot box of boards and pull them out. That nine-foot box ain't going on Simon Anderson's car. So I had to rip the box off and put me, me boards in just bubbles, you know? Yeah. They were all characters. And Randy, like Randy Rurick says, half those pipe masters before me were one on these guys on heroin. So how buffaloed out was it? It was a wild time. So I'm competing with young guys today, but I come from another time zone, like you said. So it's like, it's different. Can you, can you just describe the mood of the tour for a kid, like you say, coming from Wollongong, getting on with all these superheroes? They were huge, but they were also maniacs. The culture of pro surfing was, was in a pretty fucking radical time. It really was. Was, was it... Was it what, you got swept up into it. I mean, you... It was sex, drugs and rock and roll and I was loving it. Like, <laughs> you know, no one could escape it. It was all on, you know. But then you had guys like Sean Thompson who were doing all the modelling and all those chocolate bounty ads and he was hitting it from a, a professional point of view. So it really was, you know, like surfers were looked upon as scum in those guys' time periods. So when Sean and those guys brought a clean image and the professional thing to the sport, it was new. Me, I come straight out of the housing commission up to Sean and I said, hey, bro, you got all these nice clothes you wear and how about hand me some over? And he's like, sweat, you want some? So he's Sean Thompson. No one's asking Sean Thompson for his second-hand clothes. I fucking am. <laughs> he's rocking down to the beach with, like, bags of these clothes, shoes. It's first sponsor, mate. Barton and Tom and everyone's going to me, Sweetie, you're dressed like a million. What's going on? I'm telling him, the boss has got me covered. <laughs> <laughs> but not everyone's looking after you, right? It would have been guys who saw you as the enemy, the young guy coming through and trying to take you down. Yeah, the Hawaiians were heavy because they were playing their heavy thing, but... You know, some of us wild Aussies, we're heavy too, so I might have been one of them giving a little bit back, you know. Um, I remember in France in 84, they just, after seeing that film of Richard Cram burning down the house for the old guys, Crammy was the legend, and they had the priority buoy. You had to paddle out like 300 metres to get, get around this buoy and come back. So I think, here comes big Richard Cram, I'm going to paddle out around this buoy and get priority and come back. And as I did it and came back, Crammy says... Where have you been? I said, oh, Richard, I went out around there and got priority. He goes, no, you fucking didn't. I said, yeah, I did. He goes, I didn't see it. Go again. <laughs> so I went again. <laughs> I went so fast and I come paddling back in. Just 17-year-old grommet. I come paddling in so fast, eyes lit up. And here comes me six foot set and there's Richard think he's paddling. I'm like, Richard, I'm going. I've got priority. <laughs> twice. I had to paddle around it twice. Did you get it? Hey? You get him? Like, no. He beat me on. He beat me on a four-one. They ripped me off. But I beat. I've beaten Mr. Simon, Mark Richards. I've beaten probably nine of those top sixteen gods when I was sixteen or seventeen. So it was quite honourable just to be there to surf against those legends. You know. Yeah. Well done. You. You won an only CT victory. 
is the only one really worth winning other than maybe Bells. <laughs> I, I reckon these are the, there's two comps that really everyone wants. It's Bells and it's the Pipe Masters. Trent got the other one. Yeah. Hey, Trent, we'll take him, Trent, run around the pipe. We'll, we'll take him. Let, these, we'll bring him back. These contests have stories that... Okay, uh, here's know, the story. You want the everything. real story about Give them? us the real story. Come on. I started the tour with me Bible. I was always been a spiritual type person looking for a place out of here and I thought, where are these dinosaurs gone? I don't want them to be gone forever like these guys. So as a little kid, I was looking for God. I was looking for everything. Having the indigenous side of me, I hear the spiritual voices talking their talk. Um, so I felt living in Blamby Housing Commission, I was punching guys' heads most of the time to get out of there. There were all sorts of fuck-ups and I was just trying to get where I was going and surfing and so I'm on the pro circuit and I'm, I'm heading to Brazil with Shane Horan and Oki and Shane goes you're never ever going to make a final until you get stoned once, you're too rigid and I'm like, what the fuck's this all about, like can't I just win a heat and Shane's like, no nah, you're way too rigid, you've got to get stoned, look I've made these marijuana cookies <laughs> oh this we're is going to end well we're on this plane Oki starts going, <laughs> I'm like, what the, what's Ock on? And Shane says he's already had half a dozen cookies, right? So, <laughs> half a dozen? They load what? me up with these cookies. I'm tripping on the plane. I just remember, I, munchies for the first time and I'm up, up there, yeah. I'm just running back and forth the cockpit. Oki's sending me to get biscuits. We're just biscuiting up for 10 hours of biscuits. We get to Brazil, I meet Flavio Paderatz, who was just a 15-year-old kid. He was an amazing surfer. Um, got to the event, I had a string of losses. That year I got a first, a second and a third, but I had a broken back and I was wearing a back brace and I was, it was really bad. So I got to this contest and I got through this first heat. I came back to me accommodation and Simon Law, the man says, oh, Robbie, quick, the bus is leaving in five minutes. I'm like... No, no, I got through. He goes, oh, Simon said you were loose for sure and he packed your bags. So I'm like... Simon Anderson. Simon Law. Oh, Simon Law. (laughs) So um, this was after eating the cookies, right? So anyway, I went all the way through and made the final. Like Shane said, you had to be stoned. So then I got to Hawaii and our dollar was 52 cents and a bag of buds there was 650 US. That was working out about 1,100 bucks a bag. I'll have that bag. I remember what happened in uh, Brazil. So I started making these cookies and uh, started getting so stoned and passing out at home. And the contest was called off because we'd surfed the trials in 12-foot onshore and I'd beaten Garrett and Johnny Boy and all these big wave servers. Now it's, it's gone flat. So I found this new cookie experience and I'm cooking out every day. And I wake up and the contest is cancelled and the contest is cancelled. And I wake up, I can't even see, and they go, it's on. I'm like, oh, like this is going to be new, right? <laughs> so I keep serving through all these heats at pipe and I get to the semi-finals, and it's Aaron Napoleon who had had a two-wave hold down at 40-foot Wymere and they timed that about 25 seconds. He was a Hawaiian royalty paddling all the islands. Derek Ho's in there, he owns pipe. If you look at his waves, his family want to fight you. And I've got Damien Hardman there. And I'm a goer. Damien's been doing boxing, so I said before the semi, hey, Duma, we're in a heat, bro. I don't fucking win too many. And uh, the Hawaiians don't give us a wave. Are you going to go yellow back on me here or are you going for it? 
He said, fuck that, let's just hassle the shit out of them. So me and Damien hassled Derek and Aaron Napoleon and took all their waves. And then we get to the final and it's Winton and Damien and Curran. Damien and Curran have got five world titles between them. I'm still high as a banana. I've got the most THC in me. I'm off me, me trumpet. I've found God all of a sudden. I'm, I'm winning. <laughs> I've been losing for years. I'm winning. <laughs> so, yeah. so I walk down the beach and there's Tommy Curran. He's God in our era. He's won like 30 events until Slater came. He's sitting under the tree with his wife and I look down and I go, hey, Marie, what's this guy doing waxing up his body? I need to go out. Check what's coming his way. Like I'm just having fun with it. Anyway, it worked out. It worked out for me. It was small pipe, like three to five foot pipe, and everybody was riding like uh, six of the ways out here. The guy on the longboard, that guy who pisses you off. I became that guy. I got a seven four. I went out in the final and I took the three ways which could win on, and I actually won one. So it was a good one to win. And a couple of years after that, it didn't go as well. <laughs> Is that where we're heading? Yeah, what happened there when you, when you uh, spend half a Pipeline Masters hassling the locals? How does that go down when you come back to the beach? Oh, mate, it was quite heavy. My granddad was a bit of a gangster, and Derek Ho and those guys are quite gangsterish. And in our era, you had to fight, punch a bit ahead, and, and hold your own. So I remember Derek was hassling me so bad. Margaret River was 12 to 15 feet, and old school, really big, closing out, like 30-foot faces. And us guys who were out there, Derek was dropping in on Tom Carroll and Glenn Winton, myself, and like Otis's old man, we don't really settle for that sort of shit. So I arced up at Derek and he just started laughing. So I waited for Derek to take the biggest set of the day at Margaret's and I dropped in on him, bent over with me ass and knocked him off and started our deal. And then... We were in Hawaii going at it and different talks and I thought, well, this is going to get heavy. So I called my granddad and asked him what's up and he said, can I just pick him up off the beach? I said, yeah. He goes, well, if you get harmed in Hawaii, I'll collect him off the beach and take him out on the fishing trawler for a month and he won't surf any event, right? So I had that in my pocket. I felt good about that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, that'll make me feel all right. But now, I, you know, Mike and Derek, Daddy-O and Derek, we, we're solid. Have, just... you, have you seen the fucking waves that Michael and Derek Ho have surfed this week? Yeah, have you copped it? it? Pipeline is it's maxing out right now and they're dominating. They're the two guys out there, 60-plus. Yeah, Fuck, it's good to see, it. mate. Unbelievable. All right, look, a big chapter that played a huge role in the direction of your life because you were a pro surfer, you were doing that thing, you had the Pipe Masters under your belt. <laughs> What happened in Japan? Well, ladies and gentlemen, no one's heard this story. This has been a long time. I boarded a plane for Japan from California. I changed my ticket so many times. I, from Hawaii, actually. I was in Hawaii. I kept changing the ticket. I was exhausted from the tour. Burnt out with signing autographs on the beach and surfing two-foot shit. The tour had really fallen into... It's not the dream tour it is today. We created on our backs, but they got to ride it. So I was in the LSD period, and whoever had the best LSD on my era was world champ, and that's no bullshit, right? So I went to Japan, and I got caught with five hits of acid. Don't pass go. Don't collect 200. And you're going to go straight into the same jail cell that Paul McCartney was stuck in there for 
some joints. And um, hence, my change did come. I think I went into the, in the jail in Japan, a spoilt bitch, an egotistical little fucker that had all money and not enough respect. And whatever governs life sent me there to sit down and cry in a solitary box for 36 days and another 36 days in someone else's jail. Hang on, hang on. 36 days in a box by yourself, solitary. Go on cold turkey on women, <laughs> acid, buds, <laughs> waves, tour, cakes. You think you're mad? Let me lock you in the back shed for a week and I'll tell you how fucking mad you are. Yeah? <laughs> so, yeah, it was a heavy trip and I haven't spoken about this since it happened, but I'm going to write a book of these experiences because I went from there also to France after that, and that was another experience, wasn't it? You know, it was, yeah, because uh, this is the one of the most amazing life turnarounds, or just even journeys, I should say, where you go from solitary confinement in Japan to all of a sudden eating dinner with the French president at the time, the sitting <laughs> French president. Hey, look at that, eh, hunk? <laughs> Yeah, you know, the first thing I said to my God, you're a funny God. Because when I actually came out of Japan, you imagine being handcuffed and I got walked across the airport handcuffed. I'm thinking, fuck, man, I'm just a pro surfer. Is this joke going to finish? This is fucked up, right? <laughs> I've been locked in there for 66 days. I've just lost half a million bucks worth of sponsors and even your best friends aren't talking to me because I'm a naughty boy. Can you believe it? Yeah, so, there's, there's a stigma attached to it, right? So you're, not, you're not just getting off scot-free. You don't walk back into your old life. No, no, you don't. And you get to see who's got balls and who's a half-man. Fuck me, I got, it was written there, $25 worth of drugs caught in the airport. And That's not really compared to what you're holding, right? <laughs> but, um... <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's packing. It wasn't much backbone, I, I, you know... Look, let's be real. You see the footy players. One goes and makes love to his beautiful sweetheart on the weekend and he gets himself in trouble. Next minute, his whole team doesn't talk to him. What the fuck's that all about? If that's your bro, you stand up. If that's your sis, you stand up. So you, you got let down by a lot of mates and, and... Mate, last time... I won a Pipeline title, right? Last time they had the paddle out at Pipeline, I sent emails off to Kieran Perro. Kieran, can you hear me? You're tripping. And I said, I'd like to surf in the expression session as I've surfed at Pipe, as good as anyone my age. Kieran sent me back a, an invite, a paper saying, no, it's only for the legends. I'm like, okay, where are they? Go to the team, I love you guys. Okay, did you win it? I was at home. You fucking won Thank you, Timoth, I did win it once. Look, I sat, I sat at a really important table in Hawaii once with Barton, Damien, Mark Richards. There's probably about eight or ten Aussie world champs and they're all sitting around the table and, they, and Barton looks over and he goes, fuck you, bro. We've won a hundred contests between us and they celebrate none of them. You won one and they're still celebrating it. <laughs> so I got the lucky one. Mate, um... Tell us about the years after that, because you, you say that that was uh, one of the most important things that ever happened to you in your life. Yeah, it was... Uh, you know, like, when, you, when you're coming out, like you said, you've got 25 bucks worth of harmless shit that you're doing for your own self. Yeah. No one else is getting fucking 
slightly phased by yeah, it. Yeah, no, no one's involved. But in. all of a sudden, people aren't talking to you. You're not getting invited to stuff. You're off on your own journey. In, like in the but, beginning, but funnily enough. You get more sponsor dollars than you've ever had. You start sort of finding your own niche yeah. in a way that had never been done before in surfing. Yeah, thanks, mate. I, I, um, I was lucky having French sponsors, European sponsors, and being able to sit down and talk man-to-man and woman-to-woman, Isabelle and Fabrice, amazing people. They called me into a room. Imagine this. They call me into a room and they go, bro, you did nothing wrong. All you guys are off your head on the tour. What you did was wrong. You got caught. And our company had to wear the slaps in the face for what you did. I said, fair play. He looked at me and he goes, I can't sponsor you because other crew on the team didn't want me there. Won't say who they are, but some Australian. Say them. Elko sold me fucking out, right? Oh, what? Elko, you fat fuck, you sold me out, right? for him, fuck. Fabrice told me, Elko said, Elko's going for a world title and he didn't want me on the team, the fucker, right? Especially when he's coming around my house at five in the morning smoking a hash pipe. <laughs> uh, so my sponsor said, I can't sponsor you, but this year I'll give you 15,000 US. And I actually had a tear and said, bro, that's the greatest sponsorship in my life because you just said you're not sponsoring me because I brought detriment to your company, but you handed me over 25,000 bucks just to get my life back together. So I moved to Hawaii Charge sunset, charge pipe, and within 12 months, I got a $200,000 contract back for to charge ways and do me thing in Fuck Europe. Yeah, mate. Right? And I think the pre- I, I was I was quite lucky. I met uh, an influential family. Like I said, the the president of France was the president at the time, and his granddaughter and I became, you know, had a relationship together. And it's a trip, but she was 15 and I was 16, uh, 26. Yeah, this is how radical. No, no, it's a different country here. They talk different there. And as soon as I met this young lady, I was invited to move into their house with the president. So and what are you going to say? What, no. did he, what did he make? Your daughter's ugly and I ain't coming. What, what did he make of you, do you reckon? What, what did he think when you're sitting across the table from him and he's going, here's this pro surfer who's I'll, with my... I'm growing wheatgrass juice for him because he died of cancer. He wasn't well, right? I was taking his granddaughter to school, taking care of the whole program. They loved me. They loved it. I had him making kookaburra noises at the house when he's the president. Third most powerful man in the world, he's kookaburra up. That's amazing, me. mate. I didn't bother him too much, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, no, for sure. Fucking amazing life, mate. Unbelievable. Um, look, that's, that's not even where you're at now. I mean, like you said, you went to Hawaii. You, uh, you were right on that cutting edge of, of big wave paddle especially. That was insane. You did a lot of toe too, but, but the big wave paddle, the big boards, mate. Fuck, you've ridden some beautiful, long, heavy yellow pintails over the last few years. Yeah, big wave started... You know, I grew up down the south coast, so we get a lot of reefs, and I was always, I was in, always into the spiritual aspect of surfing, the challenge of being out there alone and letting my spirit do what Otis's spirit does when he starts painting or does a 10-foot aerial or whatever. So I have ridden some big waves. I'm the first goofy footer from Australia ever to surf Mavericks. I got that at 20, 20 feet at 22 seconds, which is 
45 foot faces. That's 1999 after Mark Fu died, who's a friend of mine. Um, and in fact, I had the biggest board in the world. I took a 10-9. I went back and surfed Mavericks three, four years ago because it nearly killed me in 1999. I had a 10-9 and... I had a 10-9. Peter Mel and all those guys only had 10-footers. And Mavericks was... I'd been living in France charging big waves. I'd, I'd towed 45, 60-foot Belhara, the big wave in France... I towed Benjamin Sanchez, and he's the number one French big wave surfer. But I went from France surfing cold water to Mavericks, and I was really confident. And uh, I charged super hard. I, I took off on ways that Peter Mel was pulled back on this one. And Pete, the boy said, Pete said as soon as I went, he's gone. He knew I was in trouble. So it was the worst wipeout of my life. I nosedived in a 45-foot barrel at Mavericks. And um, I landed on the water on my stomach and my spirit came out of my body, like looking at you guys across the room, and I said, what the fuck's this guy doing? He's going to die. And then my spirit went back in my body that quick and I said, it's me. I went, I went to the bottom of the sea on a 20-foot leg rope and I was spinning around there for 22 seconds until the next wave came and grabbed my 10-9 and brought me out of the abyss, back up on the reef. So two-wave hold down, tore me ligaments in my knee. It was the happiest ligament tear ever. I didn't even want to go back out anyway. But um, it took me 15 years to paddle back out Mavericks. It was like... It, it blew my mind being that far down and spinning around a 20-foot leg rope like they say, tombstone, and you're 11 foot boards under, you only got the nose out, and you ain't, you're going to die if your leg rope snaps. Those underwater currents ain't letting you up. That's how come I lost a few brothers there, yeah? So that blew my mind. 15 years went by, and, and then I paddled out when I'm 49. I'm thinking, what the fuck are you doing at 49? But I'm thinking, fuck, this guy caved my head in in the pub. I'm going back in for one more beer. I just had to get it off my back. So I've had two more sessions out there. Mate, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up this first section in a minute. But um, uh, as well as everything else, uh, you did have a bar in France when you were living over there. What I wanted to ask you about was the name, Cream, because you're, you're still using it, you're still rocking it. Yeah. It's the best surf wax. Yeah, Give so us a little I, bit of that journey. I was watching the whole industry of surfing and the, those that came before me had so much soul. If you look at everybody today, they're, they're trying to emulate pieces of the 70s and 80s because... The last 10 years, a lot of people have just lost their soul. And you can't go by your soul. You have to walk it. You have to be it. Um, I watched a lot of the brands creating separatism. Someone sponsored by this brand, so now they're walking down the street talking, not talking to you anymore, and all this weird shit. So I thought, the brands aren't representing me. I'd like to think that I'm treating the people I'm running into with the same vibe and hence Cream Surfing um, was born. We're just about to do the wax in France and then this bar was, came up for sale so we bought the bar on the beach and that was a wild mistake because, um, do we tell what happened there? Oh yeah, this is a classic story. <laughs> Look, Fucking some ship lost kilos and kilos of cocaine off the side of the boat and it was just washing up on the beach. 
Right yeah. at the same time as Pagey opens his bar. You can yeah. imagine the clientele in And there. I only smoked joints <laughs> until that happened. Right? Listen, it's a real history story. It's the Woodstock and it's... Yeah, the deal is those crew over there in Spain, they tie a tonne of cocaine behind their boats and sometimes they lose it on the beaches and you don't want to find it. You don't want to find it. I didn't find it. A little bit found me, but you don't want to find it. So, <laughs> But, yeah, that was the last time I even had a bit of coke, to tell you the truth. I just smoked me spliffs and go surfing. Yeah, I've heard some good, well, not good, horrible stories about what the town was like. Everyone just walking down the street going, Cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> it was insane. It was unbelievable. It was just out of control, out of control. But, but nothing gets you higher than surfing. I always say I owe surfing everything. I owe surfing the fact that today I can sit in front of you lovely people and you're listening to my bullshit. Thank you for that so much. Um, surfing, surfing is a spiritual place where, you know, you see when you're a little kid you go out this big and you catch a one-foot wave and it lands on your head and dumps you and you come home and tell mum you nearly died. Next week it's a three-foot wave. Next it's a five. It's an eight-foot. When I'm sitting out in the water, it's ten foot, and I look over there and see a 14-year-old kid. I just go, "How are you, General?" I already know that soul has matured through so much to get to there, and I think that's what surfing does. It breeds versatility and adaptability, and hopefully. Uh, it makes you feel so much better that when you get back on land, you've got more joy and more love to give all the other humans. Otherwise, don't go out there. Fuck, well said, Pagey. Beautiful, mate. Otis, how's surfing changed for you? Because obviously you've been through the, the journey of, of growing up, exactly what Pagey said, loving it because it's, it's there. It gives you something to do. It's something that brings you joy. To feeling the pressure of doing it for sponsors, where do you sit with surfing right now, especially with another part of your life that's really taking your time and energy? Well, I'm lucky enough that Billabong don't really give a fuck about me putting out clips, doing big 10-foot airs and shit. Like, they're just happy for me to do whatever I want and be available when they need me, which is fucking the dr dream come true job. Like it's, Big time. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And how has that freed up your relationship with surfing? Um, are, you, are you like when you paddle out? What's your objective these days? Just have fun. Try not to hurt my back. <laughs> getting a bit older, eh? I'm getting a bit stiffer. <laughs> oh, right, eh, mate? <laughs> Fucking hell! Every, everyone who's over thirty is just going, "Fuck you, Otis." Man, mate, my nose are that toast. He's making children. It might not be surfing. That's <laughs> probably where more on my back sore. Can I just chime in? I just, I just before you boys, get, I don't know if they're going to go, but if they do go, I just obviously with with what you you know what you've done, Paige, you notice what you're doing now. But I had a for me as a young kid, I, I didn't start surfing at 13, so I, you know to see Paige win world titles and Tom and all those guys was I was full deer in headlights kind of thing, and I. Had this experience once with Pagey and I, um, it was one of my first trips to France, if not the first one, I think I was 16 and I'd just finished the World Junior titles and Billabong had sent me to, to France and my, my flight got, uh, got cancelled and then it moved down to Bilbao. So anyways, I think text messages must have been around then, it was like, I don't know, it was 95 I think. 
And so I sent Sarge a message. I said, Sarge, can you pick me up? So he flew down in this old, Trent probably knows, it's this old black. That's I, yours? I learned that. It never came back. My black golf. Yeah, a little good golf. There you go. Oh. I saved you. So anyway, I'm in Bilbao Airport and didn't know nothing about 200 kilometre no speed zones. So Sarge has grabbed me, thrown the boards on, and Paige is just sitting in the front seat. And I'm thinking, fuck, I'm in the car with this pipe master. Do you remember this? You probably don't. I don't remember yesterday. What's your name? <laughs> so anyway... I'm Dory the Goldfish. I'm throwing the boards on the, on, on the car. I've never competed in France. Like a kid, like a Paige is sitting in the front seat. Sarge was a pretty recognised photographer at the time. And um, next minute, Sarge just hits the fucking pedal like you've never seen. 220 kilometres, no one's even going to beat him to France, but he thinks someone is, and he's just fucking going nuts. And then Pagey's got his feet up on the uh, dashboard, and I'd never seen... I've heard of hash. I've, see, I've seen pot when I was a kid. But, and Pagey's just rolling the biggest thing. And I'm, in, I'm on one side of the car, like right up next to the window, paranoid as hell, so I've just moved to the centre seat just thinking, fuck, if we slam into a car or off a, off a cliff, at least I'm in the middle, there's going to be some type of sim- sympathy. <laughs> the next minute, the, the joints lit up and the whole car is just full of smoke. <laughs> and Sarge, I'm sure he couldn't see. And, and I'm just so fucking paranoid going, fuck, this pro surfing can't see these who are wild. Anyway, I just seen this, and he actually, but it was the coolest thing I should say this, because when I walked in the car, he called me, hey, Wink, how are you? And I was like, wow, he knows my name. You see this hand just come through the thick smoke into the back. Hey, Grom, you want some? I'm like, fuck, I'm that paranoid right now. I don't need fucking nothing. And uh, but we got there safely, and... Um, it was really cool, oh. and, and for what Otis is doing, like with, you know, to see him out there in the afternoons with the kids, but just, uh, just recently, probably four years ago, we had our 50th anniversary with Cost Board Riders, and uh, we had one of, the, one of the mob, Marky Craig, and we had to give him CPR on the stage, and it was pretty heavy. Um, but anyway, with the, uh, I think Swads is here. Give a round of Swads, I think he's here. Yeah. Pounding away and, and defib and we got him back to life and we um one of my big uh you know, after getting off tour and coming back to Coffs and trying to shed some culture and grow it and uh, I got a text message from Otis that night and we 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 acknowledged all the indigenous surfers of every decade and the best one and uh, about two o'clock in the morning and uh, I got this text message from Otis and it just said I love you cunt and it meant the world. <laughs> And it just meant the world to me that, um, you know, us guys on this, in this area, we, we're doing what we're doing for the right reasons. And I just, you know, you guys just keep doing what you're doing. And, and you know, all the love's going to keep coming, you know. Thanks, Wink. Well Thanks, said, Wink. Wink, but, was, Wink was actually my surf coach for a while when I was doing comps. Remember? Yeah, I was. I remember when, he, when I first met Otis, he was... Um, tiny little kid, really shy, but had that sparkle in his eye. Like, you'd, straight away you could see he was a little creative guy. And, yeah, and then, then there was Jake Sharp and uh, Madison Williams, uh, Heathy Josky. There was, a, there was a heap of guys kind of established, you know, getting results. And I kind of watched them from afar. And then there was Otis, and I'd never really got to see him a lot until we kind of started doing a little bit of work together. And I just really, just his enthusiasm, and there was, there was a place for him somewhere. 
you know, I thought he was as good as those guys, if not better, but, you know, it's what, you know, what apples you want to fucking, you know, cut in half and where you want to go with them, and he's done it, you know, he's found what's, what he's here for, and, and um, we're really proud, and after the, the Ferguson boys and, and the Mercy, then they passed away, there was a real gap in the Indigenous community, and... You know, I think Otis is, you know, he's, he's the guy to, you know, without any pressure on his shoulders to make sure those kids understand that Waze is a, is a good way of healing. Well said, Wink. That's fucking so true, man. Well done, mate. Well, this is a true story. It's about a tragic day. It's the tale of the great shark of Durian Bay. In August 67, Bobby and his buddy Lee packed their spear guns and their tents into their trusted old combi. So they drove red dust roads north into the lonely night. They talked of winning the competition, being locals thought they might. West Aussie State Pair spearfishing championships. Lee tugged his thick beard and Bobby Bartle licked his lips. At first light, they're looking seaward from their perch on the Great Bluff. Bombor is breaking big, the sea was cold and it was rough. As miserable mornings go, today would surely top the list. But the boys were bloody hungry, grit their teeth and clenched their fists. Swiftly swimming in thick wetsuits, through open ocean swell. Found a keel in the reef, looked like a tunnel straight to hell. Bob got real excited, he said, let's go check it out. And Lee was obliging, although he had his doubts. They beat over juke, fish the boys stood down kicking hard And then faced each other terrified as the surface went dark And simultaneously they screamed a bubble fuck Went right there up above them Was not a whale but a shark Well the beast bit into Bob and thrashed him to and fro As leaned through the blood of the monster down below Clunk sounded the spear as it stuck into the shark's head. Bob was in two pieces, he was obviously dead. Alas, the shark, he wanted more. Yeah, he was still alive. And he stared over his shoulder into Polly's frightened eyes. Lee's blippers kicked and something clicked and knew it was fly or die. To this day, he swears he swam to damage through the sky. And he was sick, big From his belly to his back. Mechanic fire in his eyes. on me Cause Bobby Bottle is dead And we're down there at the pub where the seamen like to rape Was it a tiger or a white that put Bob Bottle in his grave And Lee's still a diver but of that place he stays away Says that it's best left of the great shark at Durian Bay It was dead then From his belly to his back Satanic fire in his eyes A cold heart got black Oh, the ancient creature Of the day Have mercy on me Cause Bobby Bottle is dead
Nobody packed G's into a front side. Better than our next guest. Surfing before he could swim, he'd put on a couple of floaties and paddle his old man's board onto the groomed sands of his beloved Scott's head point, where he quickly blew mines with an internal V8 engine that added unprecedented power to a raw and undeniable talent. A surfer moulded by the traditional Aussie attributes of rail, grunt and plenty of cunt, he embodied what MP, Ock and the Hoy had built into an Australian surfing legacy. 100%. Cop that, you bat. Hey, hope you get the lot. (laughs) Once he was locked into the comp game, he blitzed the Aussie Pro Junior Series, smashed the queue and joined the tour in 2000, where he won a CT in just his third outing. After winning Bells in 2005, he spent three months as the world's number one surfer. Then, in 2007, he retired and moved back to his beloved mid-north coast to kick off his own surf academy. Please make him welcome. It's Trent Knackers. One of the most naturally gifted humans to ever set foot on a piece of fiberglass and foam. Our next guest is a surfing savant who the late great Andy Irons counted as one of his all-time favourites. So much so that when the young fella prematurely fell off tour and lost his sponsors, the great AI offered to pay for his QS campaign the following year. Born and raised in Mulloway, just north of Coffs, this prodigious surfing talent had a frontside fino with more sting than a nest of bullets, more waft than a fart in a karate contest, and more thunder than Thor's weighty hammer. And though he only lasted two years on the CT, he secured a memorable runner-up finish to Damien Hobgood in the 2006 Globe Fiji Pro. Today, he continues to blow minds as a world-class shaper and one of the great natural talents of Australian surfing. Ladies, gentlemen, it's Sean Cansdell. Look, guys, um, you three were part of a... A generation of Australian surfing that was really aware of the Australian identity. You guys came along at a time where I think it was on the back of the momentum generation. There hadn't been many Aussie qualifiers. Uh, we were getting destroyed in the ratings. Hadn't won world titles for Asia. And then this new breed of Aussie power animals came out. And Wink, you were at the head of it. Knackers, you came along with it. There was the Mackers. There was Mick Campbell. There was Wilsey. Just no nonsense power surfers. Well, it's called cunt. But sorry, sorry, it's is, called I, I, fucking cunt. Where is it now? Dunno. But, but yeah. what you're talking about is the mongrel movement that came with you guys. Stocky, little, angry, charged up Ewoks fucking going for it, right? But what was behind that push and why were so many of you guys sort of had that same mindset? Where did it come from? I don't know. What the, what the fuck's happened now? That, that's my question. What has happened now? Well, I think, I think the best thing that happened, when, I remember, like, go back to the uh, tuck shop story. You know, you, you walk in, you, you know, you're out, you know, you're outnumbered, you pull your fucking head in and you do as you're told and that gives you some grunt, you know, it gives you some cunt, knows where you stand. And with your own, like, that, to me, that was the, you know, the older guys. But to, to my own peers, I think there was CJ Hobgood and Damien, I remember coming over to the Hot Buttered Ocean Earth Pro Junior. I didn't give a fuck who they were. I, I had the mentality as a country kid... I knew I had the talent. It was exactly what Trent's words were. 
is to be raw is, and I think kids nowadays are overcoached. You know, Can I we, in we, it was more pure passion. Pure fucking power, like real power. Yeah. And it hit home to me. And it was like when I grew up, it was the it was the start of air verses. Like that was the shit. I, I I loved it as well. But I loved fucking what he and he was doing just as much. I loved Taj as a surfing, I loved fucking Wing and fucking Trance, because they were they were just up there in their own way. I'd like to share a story. Uh, when we were kids, there used to be scholastic surfing. You'd get in teams of two. You'd go down the coast. We drove all the way down from Mullumbimby to um, Foster for this Scholastics titles. We surfed against Trent and uh, another guy. I think you were surfing for Foster at the time. Is that right? That would have been when I was living at Foster for... Yeah, so we've come all the way down from Mullum to surf this heat. And it's a dead heat. And they do the count back. And Munro pips us by 0.1. And he looks at me and he just goes... Enjoy the bus ride home, inbreds. <laughs> that was the first time we met. And I'd, I'd known him from around Scots for a long time, but I'd loved him after that. I was going, who is this fucking cocky little bastard? Mate, you were, you were so sure of yourself. Like, you knew, you knew that you could surf well. Where did that come from? Is that a Scots thing? Is it a Foster thing? Is it your folks? I don't know. I think maybe, like, being the youngest sibling um you know I was the one always picked on you know I, I was always a spoiled one but you know what fuck that get up and go and and even the older guys too like I always loved the old, hanging out with the older guys and um I wanted to be like my brother but I wasn't I was never good enough and then I went surfing and then I found that that was my little niche and the rest is history. You're from small towns. How did you just build out of these little towns and onto that world stage? Yeah, well, you know what? Scots has got a population of about 800. And we've got a lot of good surfers that have come out of there. And, you know, we've, we had um, Narrata, obviously. And she's back there now. I see her all the time. It's, it's fantastic. What's that? All right, Bolo. But um, anyway, talking about the surfers, like, you know, we had Justin Walsh, who Wink mentioned before. He was naturally talented, but he didn't give a fuck. You know, he, he really didn't give a rat's ass. And then, and then there was me, and, you know, we got Paulie Evans and Ben Evans, and, and then we had Asher. So, you know, Asher's killing it right now. He's out there doing his... Um, you know, free surfing gig and, you know, hats off to him. But our town, for a population of about 800, I think we've had some pretty Doing right, isn't it? fucking mental Fucking surfing. well said, mate. For both you guys, uh, describe the tour and when you first got on it. We always hear about the, from the momentum generation about how they came on tour and the, the older guys made them feel shit and they just wanted to beat them. How did you guys feel as those guys as the, the yardstick to take down? I think the strength really, personally, it was the WQS. The LMB was really like, you know, the, the guys that were trying to, to reach their goals. Uh, and that was amazing. I think we all agree that that LMB period was... I don't think it was ever fucked the momentum people. It was just like, we can fucking surf too. Just, you know, hang the fuck on for a minute and put your shit on ice and 
were coming, you know. And there was a few like Taj and Wilsey. There was a few guys a little bit older than me that were, you know, those guys were, they were superstars. But then there was this whole pack behind us and, and we all didn't give a fuck. And the Pro Junior Series, the Billabong Pro Junior Series, we all fed off each other. We got pissed together. We had a good time together. We respected each other. I don't remember too many blues. You know, they, they just, they understood exactly where Pagey had come from, like the Elko and um, that, that, those eras. It, it really stood us in a good stead to, to, uh, to give a platform off. But, but you guys were, had an identity, right? You, you were trying to get back some Aussie mongrel because it, it felt like it was kind of, like you said, Trent, it was, felt like it was gone. At the end of the day, I think we're all trying to do it for ourselves because... You know, I'd look up to Wink and go, fuck that cunt, I want to fucking beat him. <laughs> and, and he's your mate, don't get me wrong, but guess what? He ain't paying my fucking bills. And that, that is, at the end of the day, that's the way it is. Love him to death. If he needed five bucks, I'd give him five bucks. So... <laughs> Ma- maybe, maybe ten. Maybe five. Maybe five. But it was. It was a really crazy era, you know, and I think, um, I think Paige, you'll probably agree, it was, a, it was an era where Australia were probably a little bit behind in board design too, you know. Those guys came through with, you know, totally different boards and I think Australia, the surfing might not have been ready for what those guys had been designing and, um, yeah, and then you, you had you guys like Richie Lovett and Jake Pato and Nathan Webster, those guys were kind of probably, I don't know, the age group's probably similar. Um, and, you know, Webby and those guys, you know, they held their own. Um, but, it, you know, we were a few years behind them and... They were from Sydney, though, man. We're fucking from the country. <laughs> Fuck the city slickers. <laughs> Fuck them. How did you find it, man, getting on tour? Was it everything you dreamed it to be or was it a fucking disaster? Was it a nightmare? Um, I think it was amazing. I remember, like, I had, I had a pretty wild journey. I had, um, in 98... Oh, I had a really good pro junior career. I had lots of firsts and seconds, and fuck face here beat me quite a lot. We had my last pro junior at Phillip Island. I, we were in a man on man, and he, he won, and I got the trophy. I still got it, and I fucking hate looking at it. <laughs> but anyway, and then I got jumped on the QS, and it was, you know, boy, men. And then you got superstars, and I, I did, I got rattled. I, I, that's, I, what, that's what I, I was talking about earlier. You know, like when Taj was coming through, he was a superstar. Yeah. And um, Taj. It, no, he was awesome. But he was getting a lot of recognition for the, the air reverses and stuff. And I thought these Taj guys were bringing it fuck just yeah. as hard. You know. But yeah, so in a different way. Shout out Taj. It's just a, a traditional kind of way, but it was Whoa. fucking raw. And these like guys fucking. Nah, fuck bring it. Taj. He had it too easy to come. Yeah, so for, just getting back to on track here, but for me, I, I done three years of the QS and I was like 150, 40, and I was probably like 20 spots out, and then I, and I wanted a party. I, I, it was something inside me that I just didn't, didn't want to... <laughs> there's not. And you got to live, and, and I got to the point in my life where I didn't want to surf to surf to the conditions to do this and that. So I actually took a whole, whole year off. One whole year. Oh, actually, I was in Argentina. I was telling the story about Argentina. This is, this is when I rang my sponsors and said, I'm taking a year off. But anyway. Tell the story. Do you want a story? Should I tell it, Wink? Tell it. Well, you, you've started. Anyway. Argentina, like, 
it was me, Wink, Phil Marker, Sam Carrier, Kobe Aberdon. We're all travelling together and, and um, you know what? Wink was tearing through the event. Last man standing. But guess what? We're out. We're going to party. He wanted to come out. We just went, nah, dude, you're not coming. He was there, wingman, all night, full all-nighter. And then um, we've gone, dude, you got to surf. So we're backing him up, going down to the conhouse with him. He's got his board and, you know, he's, we're going, mate, you got this, you got it. We were, on the, we were on the wall watching him. The poor fella jumped in, paddled out, didn't get a wave. Totally understandable. But we would have blamed for that. Yeah, and then I, I flew home. I rang O'Neill. I was with O'Neill at the time, and I told him I wanted to take a whole year off. I was actually just about to jump on a flight to Japan, and I was like, fuck, I don't want to do this. I rang my sister. Asked her, am I right, making the right decision? She said, you are. Rag them, no worries. They're going to fulfil my contract for the, for the year. And I only served four times in ten months. And then I, this, is, this is going to the qualification, my life on tour. So it was pretty, when I got there, it was blessed. But anyway, I took the whole year off. And then I came back. Um, at the end of that year, I had like three, two or three, four surfs. And then went back to the same competition. And I think I made the semis. I got a fifth. And then went all the way to the right to the last comp, and I was in qualification position in the quarters, and I had Sonny Garcia, Pancho Sullivan, and Paul Pato. All one Sunset Beach before, and all I needed to do was get third to qualify. Is this the Andy and story? And this is with no seed, Fuck nothing. Man. I went from fucking round one all Heck the way yeah. after yeah. taking a year off, and I said to my wife, let's, let's just go to Waikiki, watch a movie. My dad was there. And went there, come out of the movies, and I had like eight Greg Webbers, they were the best boards I ever had, actually in Hawaii, and there was fucking none in there. Webbers? All the boards were stolen. Well, they... All the boards were stolen. Wow. So I ended up, he probably, he was a cut snake. He was, he qualified that year, and I, I was ringing him the whole fucking night trying to get a board. And anyway, woke up first heat quarterfinal, I got fourth. So then I, had to, then I had to do another whole year, but I qualified the next year. Yeah. So when I actually qualified, I was at Karangi at the back here where my wife's parents' place was, and I got up at six, watched the, the... There was one guy or two guys that had to lose for me to hold my position, and they Isn't lost. That shit? They, lo they lost, and then I fucking went to sleep. I went straight back to, went straight back to bed. I was so relieved because that was the goal. So I didn't get on the pierce, I just was asleep. So that's, that's what it means to different, you know, different things for fucking horses and courses and that for me. To get on tour was a fucking dream come true. And I had a, yeah, yeah a little bit with, with Hoyo and Louie and, and those guys. Yeah. And it was more of a, you know, I don't think I had aspirations to be a world champion. It was just to be part of a fucking great lifestyle. And, you know, and I'm living a good dream now with the kids. Hey, hey Blakey, I've got a question for Wink. Was it a dream tour? I think the waves were. I think, um, yeah, I think it was. I think as a kid growing up to watch, you know, like I was talking with Paigey before, like all that stuff I look back on now, that's more special than winning a fucking pro junior. Like, to, uh, you know, that's really cool life and that's the relationships you have is, that's the dream. Yeah, I always get the question asked, do I miss it? And what I answer that is, is I miss the waves, that's it. Other than that, 
you know, well, you know what? I miss the people that I've met. I've met some great people, but I don't miss trying to kick his ass and everyone else's ass because it makes you a bit of a fucking fiend. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. I mean, and like you got on tour and you won an event. What four stops in? Three. Three stops in. So you won an event. You must have just been going, fuck, how easy is this? I'll be world champ by the end of the year. But how hard was it after that first win to get the next one? Well, it all started at the Gold Coast like it does now. And um, I got last. I went down to Bells. Kind of a good story because um, cocky, ready to try and fuck shit up. <laughs> went down to Bells and when... Lost me first round. 33rd round comes out. I draw Gil Hermie Hurdy. You know what? I've gone, fuck yeah. <laughs> Thinking I've got this guy's number. This guy fucked me right up. <laughs> so that was my second event. And then, then I go away to, a, to an O'Neill photo shoot. We're in the Maldives for a month. That's hard to take, isn't it? Maldives for a month? You know what? I didn't want to fucking be there. I ended up bailing out two weeks into it. Told, told the team manager, I'm out and done. They were horrified. That was the year, I think, that um, Jay Moriarty died, I think. And, and I was there that year. And Lovely man. And one of the most lovely men I've ever met. And I, I skipped, skipped the joint and just... Without them giving me the approval, and um, they were off me. But I needed to go home and sort my shit out before I went to Brazil, and I actually won Brazil, third event in. Can I just butt in? Did they expect you to be there after he died? Well, the, the, the weird thing is, is I actually flew out the night that he died the next morning. So... It was tough to fly in, and then and then he sort of, he died in a diving accident, right? Yeah, yeah. So he was swimming, and he, he something happened underwater. So it was awful. And I was swimming with him the night before when yeah. I left. You know what I mean? But anyway, cut a long story short, I ended up bailing out and went on to win the next event. And yeah, I was pretty pumped. Yeah, mate. Um, you guys were on tour with the biggest heavyweights. You know, the pro surfing at least. So the story goes. We've got, we've got the, the 80s heavyweights and, like, we know if you grew... Well, lucky enough to grow up in that time, you know how heavy those guys were. But for the mo rest of us, the Kelly versus Andy years These are pretty guys were just fucking... Heavy. <laughs> I mean, they're pretty brutal. I mean, everyone's here. We know that you guys knew both those guys well. Uh, Andy really did gel with you guys a lot. He liked hanging out with uh, the little nuggety power dudes from Australia. What are your memories of him as a person? Oh, he, he, yeah, it's funny, you know, when, when you don't know someone and you, and you see what's, you know, presented in an image or a movie or whatever. But Andy was, he's probably the most, one of the, well, for a guy that he didn't grow up surfing with and living with, he, just to know his generosity to, to a lot of communities. We had one trip, remember Hog's birthday? Yeah, we were in Tavarua. I, I sent Blake a picture of that last night. We were in uh, Tavarua and uh, it was flat. So we had like 14 days, cloud break, and it was flat. So what do you do? Hog wanted to go play golf at the, the mainland. So we organised the boat. I think we went over in thongs and singlets, but the course that we're at had to have collared shirts and 
shoes and all this bullshit. So I did that, carts, beers, food, and then it, how to get home, we are going to get the boat, and Andy goes, nah, we'll get a fucking helicopter. No, eh? no, nah, nah, he, he organised a chopper to pick us up. Yeah, so he goes, we'll get a chopper. So anyway, we're off escorted in a chopper, I mean, in a car to get a, a helicopter. So we're all fucking pissed as farts, going all the way through the Fiji mountains, seeing waterfalls, <laughs> and then we do a flyby over cloud break all the way in and land, and then we all grab our wallets and go to, you know, do the share, and he just said, fuck, boys. That was the best day I got this one. You know, that sort of stuff you don't hear about. Like, he's, he's really generous. And it's not the, the money side. It's just that he enjoyed that company because, you know, you see Kelly and those guys, everyone wants a bit of their fucking time. And for Andy to, to be around, some, you know, it was a really good, honest, laughable day. And I think he, you know, he really enjoyed Hey, Cairns, is it true that when you fell off tour, is this true? Because this is a rumour I've heard that Andy wanted to pay for you to do the QS. Really? Uh, yeah, Sam Carrier. Speak into the mic. Yeah. Oh, Sam Carrier and Andy called me one day, and um, I don't know if he was serious or not, but he did say. So he spoke to you on the phone and said, I want to pay for you to the QS. Yeah. He Fucking did. how sick is that? Wow. <laughs> Andy was like a classic because he, he would just, you know, like, I love Slater. He's a man, but nah. at the same time, he would, Andy nah. would just be fucking, you know, mates with everyone. I wouldn't, like, when I was on tour, I don't think I saw Slater at all, you know. Like, but Different Andy trip. was just fucking, Andy, know, was just, Andy was mates with everyone on tour. And, yeah, he was, you know. he was big. He didn't have an other yeah. agenda by just, he was, he was as raw as the young Aussies, you know. He, he was, was raw. But he had... An ultimate skill, especially at Chopu and Pipe and those guys. He was just he he invented how to fucking ride a, a tube. And look at the guys now, like he he invented that. What about your own like in a heat? Have you got any memorable heats against Kelly or Andy where you were just going fuck this guy's got me, or where you got them? I don't have memorable heats. I, I've got memorable heats against him, <laughs> but fuck, you're not gonna beat him. Actually, no, I got, I got Bullshit. Bullshit. Slater actually. I got two eights against Slater and he got a nine at fucking 20 seconds ago. <laughs> Fuck. There was a lot of that with those guys, though, right? Andy, every time, fucking... He just smoked me. Yeah. I was just crushed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had, it, heaps, it, I had a shitload of heats against Kelly and one, I think I was 16. I, I think I got a wild card from Billabong to... I think it was at Burley. He had two tens, a nine eight three and a nine seven. Surfed against him again in round three. I think he had a 10 and a 9.8. Who was I, that? Kelly. Kelly. And then I, I surfed against him in, in J-Bay and I, I had him I on the ropes. Your heat I think I had J-Bay a 9.5 and, and a 9. And he was level. And he was doing that shitty little push forward thing he does. And I was like, oh, come, you know, I might have him. And then he just pulls out a 10 and a 9.5 and that was it in five minutes. So, yeah. you that, know, the guy's a freak and you've got to you know, admit it, you know. It, it's funny Wink says that because I was a heat after him. And Wink had his number for a fair bit of the heat. And then Switchy... <laughs> Switchy's just gone berserk and made it so hard for me, mate. And it was 8 to 10 foot, yeah, Wink. It was pumping. It was pumping, glassy, pumping. 8 to 10 foot, Jovo. And it was unreal. It was amazing. But I've had it... I reckon I beat him once at Trestles, but I, that's... That's probably a bit egotistical. He, he'd, he'd remember. He'd remember. 
Any win's a good win. But anyway, uh, he, you know, those guys are lords. And, and, but Andy, for me, he, he was my... He, if I had to pick one, he'd be the, he'd be the one. Yeah. Who, who was your... Did you, were the, were, did you look at those guys as your nemesis or did you have another guy on tour who you just loved to beat? Who, who was Phil your... Marker. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you just love beating your mates. I do. Because yeah, they weren't going to pay my fucking bills. I think that was the My God, that was I the love them to death, but they weren't going to pay me bills. It was fucking epic. Hey? If you could be your mates, it was, it was epic. Yeah. You love you know, the hater. Who you grew up with, surfing against, like... If you want to beat your mates, like, though, just stick to board riders. Just... What, stick to board riders? <laughs> Fuck it. Hey, hell. Trent, you're the only bloke who's ever won bills going left. Uh, it was a, it was a, an odd year, but... Yeah, and you know what? I'm so happy to talk about that because, yeah. you know, like, I went down to their 50th year anniversary and, and they made point of that, that I didn't win a Bells. But you know what? I surfed there all through my junior career and I, I, had, I had a bit of a thing with that place. Love to hate it. Yeah, it can be a good wave. It can be a shit wave. But I got the Bell... You you go down there to surf. You you go down there to surf. Whatever that fucking ocean gives you. Yeah, hundred percent. And and you know what? They they were going to call that contest off. We all had a meeting about that as surfers. And I, I've got a pretty good story in there with that actually. And um, anyway, they made the call. We're going to Phillip Island. And the last time I went to Phillip Island, I'd won. And Wink was there. I'd won the ACC Junior. Junior title that year. And, um, but anyway, we packed all our shit up. We went over there. Best story about that was Dean Morrison had his fucking dog down there. Dingo, love you, mate. You shouldn't have took your dog down there. Oh, I didn't eat all the penguins, did he, it? He, he had his dog in the car. He thought he'd stop off and have some dinner. He stopped off at, at a Thai restaurant. Gave the dog a bit of Thai. Locked the dog in the car. He woke up in the morning and the whole thing was just spurted with shit. <laughs> Dingo, I know you'll love it because you weren't taking that dog into that motel that night. Yeah, I actually think that when you go to Bills, you've got to be prepared to surf everything and anything. And it's only the champions who adapt. But tell us about the boards. And did you have Morris Cole giving you good advice on that trip? Because... The story is that he was going, fuck, you're going to win this thing in lefts, and he gave you the perfect advice on the, and the right board. Is that, that well, what went at down? The, at, at the time, I was riding for Morris, and we had a pretty good relationship. We'd, we were talking all the time. He'd make me boards overnight. Like, he, he as a shaper, I got so much respect for him with helping me where I got to. And um, anyway, at, at that time, we knew we were going to Phillip Island. I actually thought about flying home because I had this board that I won two contests in France on, a mermaid board. So we knew it was going to be, we knew it was going to be like France-style beachy stuff and, and I weighed up whether to fly home, grab, grab the board and come back down. And I went out to Morris and I said, hey, man, I, I, need, I need a mermaid. And he had one in, stored at his little factory there in the chook shed. His chook shed's so good. And um, anyway, he gave me the board. The guy who he made it for was named Bruce. And I borrowed Bruce for that event and freaking won the contest. Shane Dorian said it. No kook wins bills, right? 
Well, I'm probably the only kook that won it, right? No fucking chance, mate. <laughs> what, what I love is that a guy who fucking knows how to just push water around has his name on that trophy because there's a lot of guys who do. Matt Hoy, for example. There's guys who just fucking motor and cleave waves. Who did you look up to as a grom? Who were the guys whose surfing years went, fucking that's what I want to do? Because your style of surfing has, <laughs> it just doesn't, cut, it doesn't cut corners, mate. There's nothing to it. It's just fucking drop the back foot, throw all your weight around. Well, Where did that come from? Well, you know what? Like, I grew up with, you know, I met Wink when he was 13. He's come onto the scene and I've gone, who's this fuck? You know what I mean? But I learned a lot hanging out with him. And I don't know, there's no, there's no particular people that I, that I kind of looked up to because I really didn't give a fuck. All I wanted to do was just get out there and get the job done and fucking surf the wave for what it was. Um, but in saying that, like, I look at Brad Gerlach. He is one of my all-time favourites. I love his act out of the water and in the water. Shout out, Brad. You're a fucking legend. <laughs> But, but, but again, you know, all my peers, like Phil Macker and, and, you know, Wink and Willsey Cambo, like, isn't it funny how I'm talking about all fucking country people? Yeah, Pagey, your, your shit tonight was epic. Love it. Because not too many people say it how it is, man. It's all this fake bullshit. It is fake bullshit. Listen, I mean, the, the crew you just mentioned... We talked about it earlier. You rolled tight. You were really tight. And even though you wanted to beat them because they weren't paying your bills, you loved them. They were brothers to you guys. And I remember, um, Wink, you copped a pretty heavy beating at Backdoor one day and one of the boys actually had to fucking save your life. Can you talk us through that, Wave? Yeah, I was, I think it was 97, I think. And uh, we was, uh, I think that would have been like 94, 5. It's my most 50 year. Fifth year in Hawaii, and I think, you know, as all us young kids, they reckon four years in Hawaii and you start getting comfortable. So we were at Pipe, the last hour of light, and it was all the left, and me, Kobe, and Margo was there, and we just started going right, just in closeouts. And I, stupid enough, done a few, felt good, and we are just all laughing, and then I took off on one wave, and my, my left foot, my front foot slid to the right rail and my other foot done the scissors pass on the outside rail and the lip hit me in the face and that's all I still remember till today. And I woke, oh, I didn't wake up. Well, I woke up with three waves later with Aberdeen around my neck and he lost me. We butted heads. He, he believes we butted heads and he, then he got me again and I was spewing up water. And then we, I got in and I was on the beach uh, when the, I went into intensive care for two days and they measured I had four litres of salt water on my lungs with pneumonia. And so I stayed there for a few days and Mark Pripick, God bless his soul, he wasn't there. He was there, you know, looking after me all the time and making sure I was okay. Um, it was a really scary time, but I was young and I was actually in the... Has anyone read the Bra Boy book here? I was supposed to be helicoptered off that beach to a hospital and then they flew my mother over... That wasn't true. So I didn't tell my mum three weeks later until I got home. But anyway, everything else in that book's true, I think. Yeah. And what, what's like, give, give the crew here a bit of an insight into Kobe because he's like a, a guy who everyone thinks they know from, you know, 
news or books or magazines or whatever, but you guys rolled with him pretty thick. What oh, do you think? I spent heaps of time with Kobe. He spent a lot of time here. Coffs, he loves Coffs. He loves, he loves time here. He spent some time with the local girls here. He'd done heaps of things <laughs> here. But with Kobe, he was funny. He had a really, really hard edge, but he was really warm and he was just really, you know, nurturing to anyone that was loved. But if, if you crossed the line with him, he was, you know, that was the fucking hammer and nail. Um, and, you know, he was funny. He didn't. Like, he didn't even touch soft drinks. It was weird. Like, he getting on the piss, wouldn't touch weed, wouldn't touch soft drinks. I think even the chips, the hot chips where you eat it, and when the bit you buy it, you throw that away. Like, he was... <laughs> yeah, and then he... Then, yeah, I, I, I kind of lost contact. When I got on tour, I kind of lost contact. But I seen him about two months ago. I had a, a coffee with him in Bali, and it was, yeah, it was really cool. Kobe's got this bad image, and you know what? He's not a bad dude. He's, a, he's like we travelled with him for many years. I crossed the line with him once, and he let me know. He he, he let me know. He just he basically said, if you if you keep going, cunt, I'm gonna fuck you up. <laughs> I zipped it. You need a you need a mate like that sometimes. And, and one thing too, I might add to is in terms of us young kids, the Australian ones. You know, we all, there was power surfing and rail surfing, but there was Kieran Perrow and, and kind of Kobe as the top of our group that kind of pushed that Chopu pipe. Like, that was, that was a bit of a, like, we were surfing those guys every day and they really fucking, you know, well, fuck, if they're doing it, we're going to do it. And it was gnarly. Those guys are fucking gnarly guys. And, and look at them, you know. They made careers out of themselves, out of surfing them sort of ways. And it was, that, that kind of iced what we were about as young Aussies. Like... When, I, when we're talking about Kobe, I, I, I just want to mention that he just did what he wanted to do. And like you were saying, how he wouldn't, you know, like, what were you saying, Wink? <laughs> just how they kind of led that, they kind of led that, pushing the limits in the big ways. I put, I probably obviously put Michael... He, he I, wouldn't, what? He wouldn't, like, you know, I was just sort of comparing... Along with Slater, in the way of like he just does what he wants to do, you know Absolutely. he doesn't get influenced by people. No, he's not influenced at what he's one, not. One bit. Not at all, and that I respect that. Oh, for sure, hundred. And like, look what's come after him at Marubi. Those guys, you know, are nuts. Like, he just does what he wants to do, and that's fucking epic. Hey, um, I'm just going to read out a little quote here, Cairns, from Ace Bucking about your surfing. It's going to embarrass you, but I'm going to read it out anyway. Uh, He said, Kansas surfing is electric with incredible energy and panache. Everything is spontaneous. He does cheeky little fades, but not to get barreled. It's just to give himself a different angle and approach at the lip. That's kind of become his trademark on rippable lefts. And he just blasts those things to pieces. Blow tails, drop wallets, carving threes. He just has the bag of tricks and he puts it together with impeccable flow. He goes, even though Sean's not on tour, he has a huge amount of respect from the top surfers in the world for his natural ability. Uh, and I'm not sure the, the general surf public ever really got to appreciate just how talented he is because he only spent a couple of years on tour. But he made everyone look silly. And when you watch Sean surf, it's like watching a great band. There's a lot of feeling in it, and I love that. Man, that's huge props from a guy who has won for events, finished in the top ten, what was it about the tour that just 
you couldn't quite nail, do you think? Why, why only a couple of years for someone who everyone on the tour thinks of as a great natural talent? Ah, oh, shit. Um, like, thanks, Ace, because, like, that was pretty nice words by him, and, yeah, like, that was really well, like, written, and, yeah, thanks for that. Um, but, yeah, I guess, um, you know, I love it. I'll, you know, I always want to do it, like, but I was what? doing construction work for the last five years, and thinking, fuck, <laughs> wish I was surfing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let me put it this way then. Just getting sponsorships, really. Is that it? Comes, yeah, Ben. Yeah. Yeah, down to that, Ben. Hang on, he's too good for the companies now. Fuck them. But how are you feeling about your surfing? Actually, all three of you guys, where are you at with surfing? Because you've been at those... I'll that, have them more than ever. You've been at that pinnacle Fucking where, where really everyone do. thinks... That that's where you want to be if you if you're that good. I I, I like what Paige said earlier, like the martial art. It's fucking like guys are Jedi's, like Slater is a Jedi now. You know, I don't know whatever a fucking martial artist becomes when they hit the top of their fucking game. I don't know what it is, but the Jedi. <laughs> they become the fucking Grand Master, mate. That's where you're at. You're sitting on top of the fucking hill. You're levitating to another dimension. Boys, Wink, we're, we're gonna get, let's get Paisy and Otis back up here and we'll, we'll start throwing the mic around the room, wrap this night up. But, boys, while they're coming up, where, where are you at with surfing? Manners, are you loving it? You know what? I don't surf a lot. Um, yeah, I, I, I love it. I always will. It's given me so much. And, um, but all those years of just frothing in shit... Out there, trying boards out, done me head in. And w- once I finished, I don't think I surfed for a year. Um, but now it's... When the waves are good, I try and surf. You know, I, I might only surf once every six weeks. Do you love it when you're out there or do you feel like your best surfing's behind if the waves you? Are, if the waves are pumping, I love it. If the waves are shit, I'm over it. And Wink, what about you, mate? Um, I'm pretty lucky, I, I think. I, like when I when I I chose to to give the tour life a, a miss, I I took six years off. I surfed probably two or three times a year for six years. Went and played a different sport, and then my kids got involved in surfing, and and I kind of revisited my grandmother to how much they loved the feeling of riding a wave, and I was yeah, and I still do it now. Like I'm in a really cool position with the way I'm in the community with. Obviously, Cuba Surf, the Board Riders Club, and uh, North Coast Surfing, and just general, like honestly, like media do have a bit of an influence. Like, what are the kids up to? And, and it does make you want to encourage these kids to make something of their lives. It's you know, sitting there smoking bongs and whatever in the backyard of a Crindai Beach, you know, garage isn't the, you know the coolest thing to do. But that's what a lot of guys did. And and, I, and you know, I, I'm not. There's no ego in this. But there was a guy named Mark Williams. And, and Andrew will attest to this. He was a... I think he's like seven-time Australian champion. He, he had a heat with Mark Richards, and I'm not sure. You think he just lost, you know, at Cronulla Point. And he was a guy that lost his father and had a fucking great chance to make a career, but he chose not to. And, and look, all respect to him, but with, with myself having qualified... You know, it kind of opens up the door to that belief level with all these little kids to say, well, you know, the little fella there, he, he can do it, well, why can't I? And that's what 
cultures about and, you know, we'll page you with us and the Australian spirit. And, but there's also community spirit in Coffs and I just want to make that grow and uh, it, gives me, it gives me life. And, you know, I know Trent's just about to start to do that down at Scott's and, you know, Sean is just, you know, he's, he's, a, different, he's a different cat and we just... But his surfing is what the kids look up to, and there's there's so many elements. I'm just fitting into my little part of the fucking domino period. And you know what's awesome? All four of you giving back, mate. That's all that matters. Fucking thanks so much for coming up tonight. Ask us a question, we'll tell you no lie. Ask us a question, we'll tell you no lie. This is me dad, Alfie. Hey, everybody. Who's got a good question? Come on. When you were living at Jeffrey's Bay, what, what were you eating? Like, what, when you were living in the sand dunes? First question's for Alfie. Pro neutro. <laughs> yeah. Good tucker. Yeah. Awesome breakfast cereal. Okay, come on. Now, what's your name, mate? Daly. Daly. I've got a question for you guys. So you party pretty hard with all the... Best, who was the hardest partier in your era? That's for everyone. Rackers! That, that's kind of a hard question. Can I um, tell a story about knackers? Rackers. This cunt in Brazil, he's back. I've never seen anything like it. He's, his back was bent. Was he, par- was, was he partying? He was, he was bent. Okay, He's a wild man. That. We, we've heard a fair few party stories hey, tonight. Hey, can, really wanna... can I ask a question? Yeah, go for it, Pudgy. I want to ask Sean something, because really, there's a lot of talent up here. And this guy's only 35, is that right? 36. You are such a, a talented athlete, fucker. Humble red freckle, got all the power in the world. How do we get him back on tour? He's a nutter. Who's going to beat him? Really? Like, he's Slater's 47, okay, figure it. He's 36. He could probably kick a tree over with those stump legs. It's like... I reckon Medina, I reckon Medina could fund it, because is, tru- is that the truth? You were one of Medina's favourite surfers as, as his child, in his childhood? You know, I have no idea. I think... <laughs> He, was tell- he must have been telling shit. And then. how's Andy Irons wanted to put him on the tour? Andy Irons was an angel. He's a little brother of mine too. So he would have put him on the tour, guaranteed. He probably would have got him a hotel and filled it up with all sorts of nice things for him as well. Go on for you, Vaughn. Uh, what, what made you get the show on the road? What started all this? This, this ain't that swell? Yeah, ain't uh, It's all Smivy, mate. Smivy had been doing the potty for ages and uh, he, just, he had a mate who was doing it with him. And he, his mate bailed and I just joined in with him. But the fucking wildest thing, man, is it just grew and grew and grew. And, like, when I go into rooms like this and get to see everyone's faces and fucking how much fun they hear, how much fun people have just connecting with the truth. People fucking just want to hear these guys tell stories unfiltered without any worries. Vaughn's going to do a streak. He's going to get all his gear off and do a run around. There's absolutely no way that's happening. I've been a big fan for the podcast for a long time. Vaughn and and, uh, Jed. We love surfing. We're not tearing it down and we love it. That's what it is. I've been listening to it a long time. Thanks, Ken. Yeah, and it's fucking good. 
Cheers, mate. It's funny Atlas shit. Williams. Thanks for coming out, you guys. Maybe one more, two more questions. Fucking look at that scallop. Hey, hey, hey oh, Tim's got a pack. Tim's got a question. I just wondered, is like, is your whole scene just like a wank? Like, the only thing that separates you from us is sponsors, dollars, you know, and we buy shit so you can not lay bricks and fucking. Thanks, mate. Fucking oh. We say we need fluff and love in the water, but dudes fucking work hard for trips. You're in the Mentawis two weeks into a month trip and you bail. Like, fuck, man. Yeah, bruh. I'd suck a dick a day to be in the Mentawis for a month. Like, man. Good fucking call. Put him on the bricks. I just want to say, we were sitting in the car park when you won your bells and we were like... It was real shit weather or something. Should we go to Bells? I'm like, nah, fuck that. Why would we do that? It's going to have at the island. Should we go there? Nah, why bother? We had Shory's turn on where we are, you know, and your whole scene's just like, why do we... It's all just dollars and, like, that's what separate. We all surf. We all love it. Like, uh, you all surf. You, uh, you know what? The only reason you can tell your stories is because of that. Like, why do we stare at advertising and shit? It's all about, you know... It, it, I agree, and I also and I don't agree. One more thing: in that same car park, I pulled down there years later and saw you rip that fucking joint to pieces in a red jersey. I've never seen anyone against three natural footers. You were the goofy that fucking stood out, bro. And then when I come to Mulloway, and I'm like, "Who's the pro here at Mulloway?" And it was you, and I'm like, "I saw that dude rip my home break to pieces fucking years ago." Cheer, bro. Too cooked. <laughs> Go for it, Ray. I vote. Hey, Trent. There's a bit of a row from that, that, that comment in this thing. Hey, Trent. Trent Munro, how are you, mate? Where? I'm over here. Oh, I... I'm from, from Bower of Bellingen Road, same area. Yep. I remember seeing you years and years ago. Long time, anyway. Um, how much did you like Argentina and Brazil? I've been to both countries three times and I just love it over there. What, say, say, that, say that again, how much do I love being in Brazil? Yeah, and Argentina. What Argentina? Yeah. What do you oh, like about it? You, you know what? South America's fantastic. Yeah. It's but, awesome. But you know what? It's um, Chuck in a bit of Peru and you'll know. Can I just say one thing about Naka's surfing? He, he sees himself as a con guy. I, I've always seen his level of fucking power surfing as something more. And it's, it's fucking, like, legit, like, fucking next level. Fucked up. Yeah. I, I like, I don't want to fuck... Right you know, I don't want to piss in his pocket, but fuck, he's a... All right, I reckon we're pretty much ready to fucking... One more. This wrap it. it, right? This is it. Here we go, last question. <coughs> so... Sing us a song, brother. You got the mic going. Nah, you look like a singer. Not, not a singer. It's funny. Um, there's Kansas, my hero. Thanks. Yeah, mate. hands together for that. Hands together for that. <coughs> Trent and Wings both both coached me, but um, I never made it. Last time I was Callan. This guy saved a life. Last wait, time I was Arkell, I did beat him. You were calling him up, but. But um, put your hand up if you uh, rode for Billabong. And the panel, put your hand up if you rode for Billabong. 
If you work for Billabong. No, if you rode for him. Stand up if you rode for Billabong. This would be, this would be good. Did you, Pagey? No. Not me, mate. I got fired Trent. by all the others. Did you not ride for Billabong? Never good enough, man. Oh, okay, true. Well, that blew it. Put your hand up if you fucking rode for uh, O'Neill. Just throw your hand in the air. That's sick. That's good. Wow. Oh, keep your hand up if you're rooting for Hot Tudor. Yeah. yeah. Now, last one for everyone in the room. Keep your hand up if you're rooting for Lightning Bolt. Lightning Bolt. Yeah, wing wins. Wings the fucking man. That's called cool. Holy shit. What's the lucky door prize? You're, you're the game show host. Don't stop now, bro. We just got there. There you go. That's your answer out the back there with the mallet. Cut. Cut. Uh, are you kidding me? I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You're kidding me. You're kidding me. You're kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? This guy, are you kidding me? 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 Kidding me? Kidding me? You gotta be kidding me. 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 Oh, you gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me. 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 You've got to be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me, right? You gotta be kidding me. What? You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Come on, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You kidding me? You kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? You kidding me. You kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you fucking 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 kidding me? You've got to be fucking kidding me. Are you fucking kidding me?